0: Well, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 12 through 30. Thank you. For those of you who come to the men's Bible study on Fridays, you may be saying, that's not the passage that uh, we were told. That's true. We added a few verses on the end. we're going to look at... Uh, This passage through verse 30. Please listen as I read the words of the living God. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge According to the flesh, I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you, that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So read the words of the living God. So as we begin this particular section this morning, we find Jesus in the temple, in the treasury area, and he makes one of the statements that we all know so well. It's one of those statements that uh, maybe you have on a, on a wall plaque or something It's one of the seven I am statements from John and from the Gospels. But Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. We know that. We've heard that. But the Jews would have understood this very significantly. Light was a very common word in the Old Testament in a variety of ways. The light of the world. Uh, One of those places is in Isaiah chapter 49. Let me just read this to you. This is when God is prophesying of the coming of his servant, who we now know as Jesus. The servant would come. And here's what God said. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations. So that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and the Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servants and rulers, kings will rise and see, princes will bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. So here God's prophesying this servant when he comes, he's going to be a light not just to Israel, but to all nations and his salvation is going to go to the ends of the earth. Another very uh, common illustration in the Old Testament of light is if you think back to when God rescued his people from Egypt, when he delivered the Jews from Pharaoh and he led them to the promised land. Do you remember how they knew to follow God? During the daytime, what they see? A cloud of smoke, right? But at night, a cloud of smoke would not be very helpful because it's dark at night. So at nighttime, he was a pillar of fire. Now, think about a day when you didn't have any artificial lighting no street lights, no house lights, no stoplights, no lights. And in the darkness, there is a fire floating overhead lighting up the whole region, and you could follow through the darkness there. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he who dwells in darkness will see the light and all that, they would have thought of that imagery as well. But there's another passage that sticks out in my mind as I think about this. Isaiah chapter 9. Listen as I read... From Isaiah chapter 9, God says, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You know this passage, right? Did you notice the the region he's talking about? The the, Formerly the land of Zebulun and Naphtali said, I treat with contempt, but I'm going to do something in Galilee. Do you remember two weeks ago when we looked at the Pharisees, and when they were rebuking Jesus and rebuking the, uh, the, the, the police officers who were sent to arrest Jesus, and they came back and said, nobody ever has spoken like this guy. Uh, that's why we didn't arrest him, because he, he just confounded us. And you remember, the Pharisees said, are you kidding me? Are you guys believing in him too? Search the scriptures and see that no one arises from where? Galilee. They should have searched the scriptures because God had said, I'm going to do something in Galilee of the Gentiles. I am going to bring a light to the people who live in great darkness. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. You will multiply the nation, he says. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, a cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for fire. And then do you remember what comes next? I know it's not Christmas. It's not December, but this is not a Christmas-only verse. You're actually allowed to believe this and read this in May. Here's what, this is why they're going to be glad. This is how the light is going to shine in the darkness. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called, say it with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You can't do it without singing Handel, can you? Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God had promised someday all of these people in the dark land will see a light and they will be glad. And Jesus stands before his people and he says, I'm the light of the world. I am the light. Whoever believes in me will no longer dwell in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christian, you do not live in darkness. In the scripture, darkness is an image of so many things. Darkness is a place or a a situation of terror. Again, think back to no lights, no artificial lights. How many of you would go walking through your neighborhood and beyond if there were no lights? It's a scary thing. We don't like to be in dark places. Bad things happen in the night, right? People do awful things and get away with it at night because there's no, nobody can see them because it's dark. And so it became this, this term that communicated evil and wickedness and fear. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You have nothing to fear with me. Because you can see when you're with me and in me. Christian, you don't need to walk in fear of anything because you're in the light. Darkness was also the, the image of suffering, and the ultimate suffering, God's judgment. We see darkness used over and over again in the Old Testament to symbolize God's judgment upon sinners. In Christ, we do not walk in that darkness. We are not afraid of God's wrath because we are forgiven. We dwell in the light in Christ. Notice he says, those who... Who, uh, who follow me, do not dwell in darkness, but have the light of life. The life there is eternal life. It's the eternal life he's been talking about over and over again. We know it's coming. So when it appears dark around us, we can look and we can see the light. The light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not an oncoming train. It's the light that's going to eliminate all of the darkness one day. There will be no more suffering. Now, there's suffering now for sure. And there are many of you who, in the past or now or in the future, will experience suffering. And it'll get hard. And you will have to find the courage by the power of the Spirit today to stay focused on the right things and to fight for hope and to keep your eye on the light because it seems like it's really dark. But Jesus says you do not dwell in that darkness. Life is coming. There is a time and a place coming when all suffering, all obstacles, all disappointments, all frustrations, all pain, relational, spiritual, physical, all of it will be completely done away. And all that is left is paradise, joy, deep and profound happiness, comfort. It's coming. If you're in Christ, it is guaranteed. More sure than Helen's promise to come back and see us. I trust her. I take her at her word. But you know what? She might not be able to pull it off because she doesn't control her own destiny. Right, Helen? She wants to come back, but maybe she won't be able to. But when Jesus says, I'm going to eradicate all of the darkness, he has the power to make it so. He says, I am the light of the world. Everyone who follows me, without exception, does not dwell in darkness, but has the light of eternal life. Christian, when it seems like it's dark around you, you have to focus more intently than ever on the coming light. Because you have an enemy that wants to discourage you, Who wants to fill your head with lies? lies. Who wants to cause you to doubt and say, No, I think that light at the end of the tunnel really is an oncoming train and it's going to wipe me out? No, 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 no. Keep focused on the light of the world. He will bring gladness, He will bring joy, He will bring victory. That's what He said. Do you believe Him? That's not rhetorical. Do you believe him? Yes. You're better than the Pharisees. Do you notice their response? Nah, Jesus, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony's not true because you're testifying about yourself. You realize what they're doing here? They are quoting Jesus' words back to him. A couple chapters earlier, this is what Jesus said. He said, my testimony is not true simply because I say it. I have someone else who testifies to me. He says, there's John the Baptist, whom you all used to give some credence to. There is my Father who testifies to me through all these miracles that I'm doing. I couldn't do them apart from the power of my Father. So they're taking that and throwing it back at him. Ah, Jesus, your testimony doesn't count because you're just testifying to yourself. Your testimony is not true. You realize that every believer on planet Earth agrees with the Pharisees. They agree with the Pharisees. Jesus' testimony is not true. Jesus is not the light of the world. He is not our hope. He's not the Son of God. He's not been sent by the Father. Jesus is a liar. Every believer who has heard the gospel People you've talked to, family members, friends, people that missionaries have talked to, when someone has told them this is who Jesus claims to be, they said, no, his testimony is not true. We don't believe him. So Jesus' response this time is not to engage in any kind of debate, not to give explanation or rationale for his conclusion. He simply says, My testimony is true. Even if I am testifying to myself, what I'm saying is true. Because I know where I came from. I know that I came from the Father. I came from glory. I came from heaven. I made you. I know who I am. And I know where I'm going. I'm going back to that glory. I know that. You don't know that. You don't know where I came from. You don't know where I'm going. You can't get your eyes off of the here and now. You you judge everything by the flesh, by by human standards, by your own thinking. He says, I don't judge anyone that way. When I judge, my judgment is true because I'm not judging just of myself. I'm judging based on what the Father shows me. When Jesus judges, God judges. He says, even in your law, it's written... Testimony of two men is true. So, here are your two. I am speaking, and the Father speaks. It's true. Have you... It's, uh, yes, you have. You know, when, you, when you're... For those of you who are married, you experience this all the time, I'm sure. When you're debating with somebody... But it's not a friendly debate, it's not a let's really wrestle through and try to figure out who's right and who's wrong here, and maybe I can learn, maybe you can learn. You know, there's, a, there's an honest debate and discussion that occurs now and then, kind of like in our political system. Not, right? But you know those times when you're not really interested in coming to the truth and hearing your, your opponent out, but you're just looking to find something that they say? that you can use against them, like almost every husband wife squabble in the history of mankind, right? And you can repeat back verbatim what they said, but you don't really care the meaning behind what was said. You use the words to, to jab at them again. This is what the Pharisees do through this whole encounter. Jesus just said, my father testifies of me, and immediately the question is, who's your father? Right? Not, wait, what is he talking about? He's talking about God? as his father, that should intrigue them. Doesn't care. Where is your father? We'd like to talk to him. We'd like to examine him. We'd like to find out who this source of authentication is. Where is your father? Jesus doesn't debate with them. He knows what they're doing. They're just throwing words out. He says, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And he said this to them before. We've seen this. You can't know God the Father if you don't know his Son, Jesus. And if you know his Son, Jesus, you know his Father. The only way to get to God the Father is through Jesus the Son. And since they don't care about him, they don't know the Father, and they don't know the Father, they don't know the Son. He just just says it as plainly as can be. And John in the story here says he was speaking this in the treasury, taught in the temple, but no one grabbed him, no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. We've seen that phrase over and over again, right? Nobody decides that Jesus is going to die on the cross until God decides he's going to die on the cross. God is the timekeeper of this. So then Jesus says to them again what he said earlier, I'm going away, you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Again, the Jews, what is he talking about? Is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means when he says we can't go with him? That's what he's going to do? He's going to take his own life? Jesus responds, you just don't get it. You're from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, and you can't get your mind off of things in this world. I'm not of this world Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That is one of the scariest statements Jesus ever made. Everybody's going to die. We know that. Jesus saying you will die is not particularly profound. It's not even that significant. Everybody knows that. But he just told these people of God, these Jewish leaders, these men who spent their entire lives studying the Bible, going to church, so to speak, teaching others what God has said, he just told them you are going to die in your sins. The scripture says there are only two ways to die. Not in terms of method. Not in terms of how we actually stop living. But there are two categories of death. You can die in Christ or you die in your sins. Those are the two. The scripture says those who believe the good news of Jesus, those who call upon the name of the Lord, those who believe that Jesus went to the cross and suffered God's wrath on their behalf, that he died and rose again, those who believe that, who repent of their own sins and follow him, they will die in Christ. That's good news because those who die in Christ will also be raised in Christ. And death is not the end. Death is not the doorway to condemnation. Death is not the time of judgment and eternal wrath. Dying in Christ means rising to that eternal life that he spoke of. Every person who believes the gospel we die in Christ, but we don't die as those without hope. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, we are raised to eternal life. But everyone who does not believe the gospel dies in their sin. And the scripture goes on to say that it is appointed for man once to die and then judgment. And every unbeliever will be raised again and stand before God Almighty at judgment and they will be condemned for their sin. There's only one way not to die in our sin. It's to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have a lot of visitors here today But even if you're not visiting, even if you've been in this church for years, if you've been in any church for years, it does not automatically mean that your faith has been placed sincerely in Jesus Christ. So let me encourage all of you to examine your own hearts as you sit here and make sure it's one or the other for all of us. Sinner, call out to Jesus. Don't die in your sins. Die in Christ, in faith. These people studied the Bible. These people went to worship. They did all the right things externally, but their hearts were not sincerely focused. Their faith was not real. Those are the two options he lays out. Now, in verse 24, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am. And in the NAS here, it has the word he in italics. Now, all of you who were here last week now know when the New American Standard Translation uses italics, what does it mean? It's not in the original. Someone is putting in the word he for us. I wish they hadn't. Here's what Jesus said You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. He's talking to Jewish scholars who know the Old Testament frontward and backward. They have the Pentateuch memorized. They have the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Anybody here have Genesis through Deuteronomy memorized? Yeah, nobody. It's a lot of words. These guys would have had it memorized. When Jesus says, you must believe that I am, all of their heads would have shot up. Their ears would have perked up. What did he just say? In Greek, it's the phrase ego eimi. In Hebrew, it's the phrase or the word Yahweh. This is the name that God gave himself when he was speaking to Moses. Remember Moses in the burning bush? God speaks out of the bush to Moses, take off your sandals for the place you're uh, standing is holy ground, and he says, go, I want you to talk to my people and tell them that I've sent you. And Moses says, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to believe that you sent me. Who can I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. And for the rest of the history of Israel, the special name of God is I am. Jesus says to these Jewish leaders, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. What did he just say? Surely he didn't mean what it sounds like he means. Notice their next question. Who are you? Now I would love to tell you this got their attention so much then they said, oh please, tell us who you are, convince us that you are God, we want to worship you as God. That's not what was going on here. They want him to say it out loud, that he's claiming to be God so they can kill him. Back at the end of this discourse, which we'll look at uh, down the road a few weeks, he says it again. And this time, in their mind, there is no mistake. He just claimed to be I am, and they pick up stones to kill him right there on the spot, but because his hour had not yet come, he's unscathed by their attack. I am. You must believe that I am. And people say Jesus never claimed to be God. That's what skeptics say. It's true. Jesus never said, I'm God. Anybody who knows their Bible... He said it way more specifically than that. I am. So they ask him, Who are you? He knows it's a trap, so he doesn't answer the question. He says, Look, I've been telling you this from the beginning. I have many things to speak and many things to judge concerning you. But here's what you need to know He who sent me is true. The things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. Now John fills in what we now already know. They didn't understand. They didn't realize he was speaking to them about the Father. They still don't get it. Who are you? Jesus says, here comes the testimony. Here comes the proof that will communicate who I am. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and I do nothing on my own initiative. I speak the things the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I do the things that are pleasing to him. That's all I do is what's pleasing to him. Here's what's going to happen, and, and Jesus already knows this. They are going to lift him up. It's, for anybody who reads John more than once, for his audience who, who gets the, the letter and they read it over and over again, they would have understood eventually John is using a double entendre here. When you lift the Son of Man up, he's saying you are going to put the Son of Man up on a cross. You're going to kill him. Isn't it kind of ironic? What, is Jesus going to go kill himself? Jesus could have said, no, you're going to take care of that and make sure that I die. When you lift the Son of Man up, you will know that I am. We read the gospel accounts Matthew in particular and when Jesus cried out from the cross his his last words and and expressed his last breath there was an earthquake the whole city shook and the veil that separated the holiest of holy places in the temple the veil was torn in half from top to bottom Dead people came out of the graves and walked around and talked to people. All of this after three hours at high noon of pitch blackness. I mean, you know, it gets a cloudy day and we don't see as much sun as we'd like. Yeah, it's kind of dark. But the scripture says it was pitch dark at high noon for three hours. All of those things put together got people's attention, and even pagans looked at all this and said, surely that man was the son of God. Others went and they were beating their breasts, upset that they had killed that man. Everyone who saw it was struck with, oh, what did we just do? Now, it doesn't mean they repented of their sin. It doesn't mean they believed he was the Messiah. It doesn't believe they were saved, but that got their attention, and now they had to start doing mental gymnastics to wipe away everything they saw and say, no, 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 that's, he's not really God. But he said, Jesus told him ahead of time, when you put me up on that cross, you will know I am. But part two is, that's not the end of his story. He dies He comes back to life. He walks and talks among some of them. And he ascends to the right hand of the Father where he lives today. And some of these people believed. And now they knew for sure he's God. Because who does that? Who dies and comes back to life? Who predicts their death and their resurrection? I don't recommend you trying. Jesus said, I'm going to die when the Father decides I'm going to die. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise again, and you will know that I am. And some did. Even here, it says, some of them, many of them, in fact, came to believe. Now, we'll see in the upcoming sections, their belief may have been a little little weak and uncertain, but they believed his words. As Christians, we look back on this and we believe the story. We believe that it's real, that Jesus was lifted up in both senses, on the cross for our sins, and he raised, rose from the dead, and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He is the great I Am. The Lord Jesus is God. John wrote this letter, this, this book, this gospel, intending people to read it over and over again. And every time you do, you start to see more and more layers, more more, uh, complexity of what John wrote. Uh, Brilliant stuff here. One thing I want to draw your attention to as we wrap this up. All the way through this passage, they're concerned with testimony. The, The Pharisees are concerned with testimony, testifying, prove yourself. The word in Greek for testify is martyreo. That's the verb form. We get our English word martyr from that word. In the early church, starting with Stephen, people were killed for their testimony to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. And so after a while, because so many people testified to the death and resurrection of Jesus and were killed for it, that the word took on a different meaning or an added meaning. A martyr was not just someone who testified with their words, but someone who testified by giving their life. They were willing to die for the truth of the fact that Jesus died and rose again. So the testifier and the martyr became synonymous. and You've got the voice of the martyrs still to, our, to this day, and you can read about so many martyrs from the early church. And we often say the first Christian martyr was Stephen. But he wasn't. The first Christian martyr was Christ himself. His testimony of who he is was proven in his death. And the father's testimony of who Jesus is was in his death and resurrection. The I am, Yahweh himself, testifies that Jesus is his son. And Jesus testifies that he is I, I am Both of them testify on the fact that Jesus went to the cross just as he said. And he gave his life as a testimony to the truth. And he rose again as a testimony of the truth. Jesus is the first Christian martyr. And together they testify that it's real. If you are not a Christian today, hear the testimony of Jesus in his death and resurrection, and you can walk in the light. For all of us who are in Christ, don't walk in darkness. You're not in darkness. Don't walk in fear. The testimony is true. You will not die in your sins. You will die in Christ and be raised to glory forever and ever and ever. It's in that hope that we live today and tonight and tomorrow. No matter what our circumstances are, it's true. His testimony is is true. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we can be like the Pharisees. We can be so petty in our debates with others, in our family, with people we don't like. Or more significantly, we can be doubters. We can question you constantly. We can be asking questions like the Pharisees: who really is Jesus? Who is his Father? We can be tempted to skepticism. Lord, I pray that for the believers in this room, that your spirit would sweep all of that away. That we would see the light, that we would walk in the light so clearly we have no time for petty disputes and insignificant strife, that we, that we would put away any doubt, that we would believe the testimony. And Lord, for, for those in our midst right now who are suffering, we know that affliction awaits all of us in this life. But I ask that you would draw their eyes to the light. Their hope would not be in the circumstances of this life, but in the one to come, because Jesus is true. May they hold fast to that and endure, persevere in great faith and great hope. Lord, for all of us who are in the light, fill us with joy, fill us with gladness. May we be so full of joy we can't contain it as we sing, as we celebrate, as we talk to others. That we would be people who live like we believe that it's true. For your glory and for the good of all, I pray. Amen.